uh, I like to say school is a puzzle, right? And we broke up the puzzle and we threw every piece onto the floor. Well, hey again, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Learners Podcast 2019 edition. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm Will Richardson, your host. And we are so glad you've decided to spend some time with us, and we have just a great new episode to kick us off this new year as Bruce and I interview Megan Power, a founder and designer of a new innovative public school that's a part of the Poway, California Unified School District. Megan's also just off a year as a 2017-18 Campus Teacher Ambassador Fellow for the U.S. Department of Education. So get set to hear what I think is one of the most compelling stories of change of late by a district that stood up and said, we can't keep doing school the way we've been doing it, and then actually found a way to build a totally different experience of learning for students. And as you listen, I hope you're thinking about how your district can do this as well. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So as we enter 2019, we here at Modern Learners have all sorts of ways that you can challenge your own thinking and grow your ability to make change happen in your schools and classrooms. First and foremost, don't forget our seventh cohort of Change School is now open for enrollment. We start on February 12th, and we would love to have you join us in what we and many of our alums think is a powerful eight-week masterclass and coaching experience that connects you to over 600 people in our Modern Learners community. You can get all the details at change.school. And with 2019, we're fresh off the launch of our first ever Modern Learners course with many more to come this year. If you want to push your practice when it comes to how you use assessment in the classroom, head on over to modernlearners.com assessment to check out this great new learning opportunity. We've had dozens of people sign up um, in our soft launch already, and uh, their work is already amazing. As always, you can get all the info on our latest blog posts, the Modern Learners Labs, other podcasts at modernlearners.com, where you can also sign up for our bi-monthly newsletter that will keep you up to date on the world of modern learning. And finally, if you like what you hear today in our 56th episode, why not head on over to iTunes, give us a review and a rating, tell your friends and family to catch up on the slew of really great episodes that will make your commute that much faster and more thoughtful as well. But for now, hope you enjoy this conversation with Megan Power. Happy New Year, everyone. We're glad you're listening. So, Megan, it's great that uh, we can spend some time with you. It's uh, good to see you again, Change School alum and also um, rock star in the Department of Education for the last year. Now, uh, um, kind of uh, taking a a leave from that that work, at least. But uh, I'm sure that was a really exciting year for you, yeah? Absolutely. It was a a very exciting year. (laughs) So um, we want to talk maybe a little bit about that in terms of the, the larger implications for change, you know, at a kind of a national level. But really what we want to do is just spend a little bit of time um, tonight just chatting about Design 39 because it's such an interesting school. It's, I, I know, a model for a lot of people who have been talking about starting schools and really doing things differently in, in um, school spaces. So you were a part of that from the beginning, I think, and what we were hoping was just to get a little bit of history on what that process looked like, why it started, you know, what were the big questions that you had at the very beginning. And so I'm just going to let you maybe start wherever you like in, in telling that story, and then we'll just fill in with some questions as you go. So, 
So what is it? I mean, what what's like the first thing that comes to mind when you think of that that whole process that you went through with Design Thirty Nine? Yeah, it what a process it was, and that's I think that word process, right? It's not about that end product; it's about that entire process um, that we went through and that we continue to go through. Um, I was very fortunate to be part of designing Design Thirty Nine Campus, even naming it Design Thirty Nine Campus for um, many years, even when it was just a, a thought process uh, back in the architectural stage, because it is a brand new um, construction as well. And um, years back, they had pulled some people out of the classroom and just wanted you to dream up what could a school be like architecturally, um, just with the design. So I was fortunate to be a part of that, just thinking about, it was the first time I had a chance to think about school from the physical space, like the complete physical building and campus of a school. Um, and then a few years uh, after that, I was involved in um, helping to create the school. So, so I mean, what, was it just, if, if you don't mind, so what was it that even started the thinking about that? I mean, did a bunch of people just get together and say, let's create something really new and different? Or was it, we're building a school, we want it to look different? Or, I mean, what was, what was the thinking early on? Yeah, well, we're in a growing area, so there's a lot of homes that were being built, um, and we needed to open another school. And yes, my superintendent at the time, um, he's not here with us anymore, uh, he's retired, um, but the superintendent at the time had thought, well, this is our, our chance to really go beyond what we've already done before and really make some big changes. And we're in a very high-performing district, um, right. so... It wasn't like it came from a need to make changes because we had to make changes. Because um, according to test scores and everything else, graduation rate, we're being successful. Um, but our superintendent at the time realized like we need to really make changes. The world's changing and we, make, we need to change how we're doing school, change the way students are experiencing school. So he kind of put that out to the district to change the way we do school as a challenge and timing was perfect because this brand new school was, um, you know, in the very, very beginning stages. And I was lucky to have the opportunity to be one of the founders. And we really took that challenge to heart. So how do we change the way we do school was what he kind of challenged us. And we changed it to how do we change the way students experience learning? So that was kind of our big essential question that we kept in our mind um, as we were going through this whole process. And I was very fortunate to have uh, been involved in a um, massive open online course way back. And it was called Designing a New Learning Environment. And timing was great. It was out of Stanford. Timing was wonderful because it was two years before our school was set to open. So there was a group of about 11 of us and we just went through and the challenge that they gave us was in nine weeks, what's one thing you could change in school that would really make a big difference? Um, so, you know, we really grappled with that question and that's where we started coming up with the idea of getting rid of the batching students, you know, second grade, third grade, and just kind of batching the students. Um, but it gave us an opportunity to really start thinking about school in a different way. Um, and then I was able to have an, a year out of the classroom with four other teachers and our founding principal. 
And we spent the entire year, we we're very fortunate to be able to use some grant funds to actually have this happen. Because my last school that I opened, I was opening the school while still teaching, which is what typically happens. Hmm. Um, with this one, we actually, uh, because four of us had opened new schools, we knew how we had done it before, and we knew how we wanted to really change um, how we were creating the school. So really spending that year researching and um, having deep conversations with each other and networking and finding out you know, what other schools around the world, around the country, um, are making changes, whether it was private school or charter or public, um, and really just thinking about every aspect of school uh, I like to say school is a puzzle, right? And we broke up the puzzle and we threw every piece onto the floor. <laughs> and then, I mean, really every piece. Um, and then we picked up each individual piece and we researched it. We had conversations about it and decided if we needed to throw it away or if we wanted to keep it and reconfigure it. For example, bells. You know, why, why do we have bells? And we look back into why bells are in schools. Is it still relevant? Is it still needed? We decided we don't need bells. So we don't have bells at our school. Um, but really taking time to think through all aspects of um, school, including spaces, including the roles um, of different people on campus and leadership structure, language, but really taking the time to think about all aspects um, that go into school um, and then kind of creating our own puzzle of what we think school is and education is. And um, we're going to be run like a startup forever. We are constantly chiseling away at each piece and redesigning it and seeing what works, what doesn't work. We really truly believe in the design thinking process. So Design 39 Campus was created and operates with that design thinking process. So, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, I mean, you, you've got, you, you raise a lot of questions and, and I love the process that you've gone through and the depth and the time that you've taken about that process. The first, but just to wind it back a little bit to that point where you said um, we're a high-performing. Let's forget about definition of high-performing. For the discussion, we know what you're talking about. What I'm really interested in, and you made comment about this, was you didn't need to change. In, in most people's minds, what you had was working. Now, as you know only too well, most people, when they talk about school reform or new schools, something's broken, I've got to fix it. That wasn't what you had. So how did you deal with that with the community? Oh, great question. And we've, we've done a lot with the community and we continue to because our parents, you know, when we first started this venture, they, school was successful for them right? And how it, people move into our district specifically to go to our schools. So it's really like real estate is driven um, because we have such great schools. I mean, there's signs around the neighborhood, um, you know, advertising what a great district this is. So yeah, to have to shift that, we really needed to talk with our parent community. And that's where a lot of that design thinking came in with um, empathizing. So we brought the community members in to you know, talk about our new school. And instead of telling them, this is what our school is going to be about, which is what we did for our previous schools. Yep. With this one, we asked them the questions. Right. So we started with, imagine a place where students could 
And the parents were actually on post-it notes writing down. Then we need teachers who, then we need parents who, and leaders who. And it really, it came from the parents and we had to help them to think about in their current lives and in their current jobs and roles and careers, what skills do they um, use all the time and what would be helpful for them. And, you know, then having them think about their experience as students, what were peak moments for them as students, what stands out. Um, and really helping them to start asking some of those questions. And it wasn't about convincing them. It was about having them really sit down and help us come up with what we want our school to be. Now, can I just drill down on that question one more little bit just in to finish yes. it off? Because, again, love the process you're going through with that. And understand that you've got, you said you had community members, parents coming in. I guess I'm interested on how that scales, though. Let's say you get, and I'm just talking top of my head and other people listening to this podcast might be thinking the same thing. You've got 30 parents in there, or have you got hundreds? Or if you've got 30 or 40, how do you scale 30 or 40 to a community? I mean, in other words, how does it become shared across the wider community rather than those specifically who are working with you? Um, great question, too. We had a lot of these workshops, so okay. it wasn't just one. We had a lot of workshops, um, really encouraged new people to come in. And we typed up every single word that was written on every post-it note and it was put on our website. And we shared videos and we shared articles and we shared books. And it was really like an experience for our parents to kind of learn along with us as we were designing the school. Um, so, yeah, you don't want it to just be a core group and, and their ideas. You want it to spread out to others. And then you need to find ways to get to all the different populations. You need to pay attention to that to make sure that you are reaching um, all different types of people with all different types of experiences. Um, so being really mindful about that, sending out specific invitations um, to people, hosting it at different places, um, food, a lot of times, will bring people in. <laughs> <laughs> Drink does too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, once, it, once we started getting our parents to um, feel involved in the process, they started asking questions. Um, and they were asking questions about their own schools, like their current schools that their kids were in. Um, but it really just was that shift of um, opening up and allowing the parents, um, you know, unschooling them and allowing them to ask questions and allowing them to provide and, and see that they um, are in this with us. And it's not just us telling them what's happening. So just a few rapid fire questions here, right? Just to kind of backfill some of the facts and logistics around it. So how long, how many years or how much time did you spend kind of building parents capacity for that conversation? How long did that take? Uh, we had about a year. Okay. And so it is, is design 39 a neighborhood school or is it a choice school? <laughs> we are a fully public public school. I say it twice. A lot of people think we're charter. Um, we're a public school in the neighborhood. The only difference um, for us is because we were changing the way students were experiencing learning, we did not want to force anybody to come here. So within a larger boundary, um, people can request enrollment, but no one automatically comes to our school like they would at our other neighborhood schools. Um, they have to request that they want to come here. And, and how many, sorry. 
if they want to come, can they come? Do you have to accept them? Um, we are always getting more people than we can fit. So it does have to go to a lottery, but it's not an application. It's just requesting enrollment. It goes to the lottery. And so how many kids do you have? We, at our about, we are at about 1,300 students. And, in, and what grades? And we are transitional kindergarten, which is uh, the grade below kindergarten in California, to eighth grade. Okay. And so what, so what, what is the biggest difference in terms of the experience for kids um, now as compared to the other schools that kids go to in the district? And, and maybe if you, if you have a sense, I'm sure you do, what is it that is driving so many people to go to your school since it is, it sounds fundamentally different from the traditional way we think about how schools operate and the way schools look. So what are some of those big differences and, and how, uh, what, are, what is it the parents see from that different experience that they think is gonna be better for their, for their children? Mm -hmm. And we, we are very fortunate to have a lot of great schools um, in our district, as I mentioned sure. before. Yeah. Um, but our school is definitely different, and that's the word that we use. It's not better. Um, right. It's different, and it's a different approach, and um, it's really up to the, the families to see what they want for their child and to choose this. Um, but I would say some, uh, some of the big differences are the, the students and the, the learning experiences that students have. So it is really how they're experiencing that learning. There's a lot of student choice. Um, a lot of voice. We really work on student agency. Um, we're not focused on you're in fourth grade, so you have to learn this content and do this project because it's how we do it, right? It's not about tradition. Um, it's really just about what are the students interested in, and it's about, um, you know, following that, and it's, it's really truly designing. I was just touring a principal from Ohio around earlier today, um, and she was commenting just on the teachers, um, who we call learning experience designers, and just the shift of thinking of how they're designing and creating uh, integrated lessons. And it's, when you say the word integrated, it doesn't even describe it enough, where it's truly sitting down and thinking about the content as a designer and um, pulling it together and sitting down with kids and looking at kids interests, their passions, the areas of need, and developing engaging experiences for students. So, so that raises the obvious question about staffing then, because again, um, this is the case when you're starting a school, you get to obviously uh, hire to the, to the aligned with the, the culture and the experiences that you want the kids to have. Tell us a bit about how you did that What's been the response and what have been the challenges of it? Absolutely, yeah. Hiring is, is huge. It's very, very important um, to build that culture. So fortunately, people come here because they want to work here. It is not necessarily easy. Um, it is hard work to do. You're not just turning the page to see what the lesson says to do tomorrow. You're actually really designing and thinking and using data. Um, so we have a whole process that we use for um, teacher um, hiring teachers. It starts with an e-tell, a digital tell me about yourself, um, where people will sometimes submit videos or um, being very creative of just kind of tell them and introduce themselves. And then we do a design challenge uh, where we're really working or looking to see how people collaborate. 
because it's not necessarily about content knowledge. We're looking for the right person, the personality, someone that can really work together um, in a team that can include others, that it's not just about my idea, but really kind of take ideas and build on them. Um, someone that is a risk taker themselves, because if we want our students to be able to take risks, um, we need our teachers to be able to take risks and to live that. Um, so from this design challenge, we then go to um, an interview where there is a group and they're of teachers, they're collaborating, and the candidate joins in to kind of collaborate about building a unit of study or um, a learning experience. So you can kind of see how are they interacting in a group? Are they able to share different ideas? Um, are they able to make those connections, build in that content? Because we really do build the content here instead of following the curriculum. Um, and then we have, you know, some question to answer more of a traditional interview style, except the questions are different. It's not, you know, tell me about your literacy block. It's more asking them and getting to know them as a person um, and just like, their thoughts as like how they live their lives as a person. And the challenges of that? Yeah. <laughs> Challenges, um, well, we're all facing teacher shortages all over the country currently right now. Um, so that's a challenge. Um, one of the things that, that we find is hiring new teachers here, if they're fresh out of college or teacher prep programs, um, they haven't really been prepared for our style of teaching. Um, so it's, it's trying to... Um, find teachers that have maybe a few years under their belt that have been in different schools and systems and really see that it's not for them and that they really want to, you know, push their thinking more. Or maybe they were in their school and they stood out like a sore thumb because they were making these big changes. Um, so it's finding them. But, but what we find is uh, brand new teachers, uh, that's tricky for them because they haven't been prepared for this way of learning. So, Megan, you mentioned a couple times already that it's not about the content. Um, you've you've met you've talked about student agency. I mean, this can't work, right? I mean, kids won't be prepared for high school. Um, they won't they won't pass the state tests. Um, you're probably ruining their chances for college. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I can just hear a lot of people who think about this and kind of go, "That's it, just that's impossible, right?" Because this, 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 this. So, I mean, and I'm sure you hear that from time to time, but I'm also sure now that you have the evidence that shows that those concerns really aren't true. So, I mean, what happens to kids when they, when they leave your school and they go to high school or, you know, I know you haven't been around long enough to really follow them for too many years after, you know, after their experience with you. But I mean, what's your sense of it? You don't do content. So how do they pass the test? I mean, how do they get ready for high school? All that stuff. Yeah, and, and I mean, we teach, we teach the content. We're just not following set curriculum, per se. But we do teach. Our kids are learning to read. They're learning to write. They're learning, you know, math and different science and social studies topics all through essential questions. So they are still, you know, getting what people would call content, right? Um, but, yeah, we do get a lot of times parents will ask the high school question is what I call it. <laughs> Um, and it was hard when we first opened to be able to explain to parents they are going to be okay in high school and um, 
telling them all the different skills that they will have um, to be able to be adaptable um, into any situation. And for me, it's, it, we would ask them, it's not about, you know, do you really want to go through school just to prepare yourself for four years in high school? Or do you right. want to be prepared for life? Um, and actually speaking of data, we um, are currently our sixth, seventh and eighth graders are the highest performing according to state testing um, compared to all of our other middle schools in our district. And we don't focus on testing and we don't do any test prep. That's with zero test prep. So when students are really um, excited about the content and they're really thinking through um, you know, they're learning and they have that student agency and they have that choice and they understand why they're learning something and they seek out and they go and learn things and, you know, learn from each other, then all of that knowledge and all those skills and dispositions, you know, come together and it'll show in any way. So state testing is just one way. Um, but we do have uh, two classes of kids that are up in the high school currently right now in ninth grade and 10th grade. And they're doing very well. We're tracking to see how are they doing with their grades. They're all doing at or above their peers coming from other schools. Um, but beyond that, their leadership skills, stepping into leadership roles and, um, you know, going above and beyond and understanding how to do different projects and presentation skills, especially. We're noticing that those are above what their peers are. And is the high school just very traditional or more, much more traditional from the experience that you're giving them as they, you know, in Design 39? Um, it is much more traditional of an experience. They're making some shifts and changes, but it is definitely an adjustment for our students. Um, but it's not that big of an adjustment because our kids are used to being adaptable. You know, they can adapt into different situations and they also know themselves as learners they know what they need, they know what they know, and they're not doing it for a grade or for a teacher. They're doing it because they themselves are learners, so they can change and adapt into any situation. So that opens up a somewhat provocative question, but, but one that you can be, uh, we can possibly discuss, and that is, that do you think what you've created at Design 39 um, is something that belongs in the, we'll call it the K-8 space, and that we have to get onto the, the more formal structures when kids go to 9-12. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm summarising it. And the sensitivity of the answer, I think, is obviously not to, I know that you won't, you, you don't want to be in any way uh, insensitive to what is happening in the high school system or in that high school. Um, so I'll frame the question directly by saying, do you think there's an opportunity in, in some districts to create a design 39 that might go through to a year 12, for example? Absolutely. And, and we get parents that ask us all the time, can you build the um, 9 through 12 on the playground? That's the answer. <laughs> Um, no, absolutely. And there are, you know, our high schools making changes. Um, and we have a few high schools in our district that are making changes. But if you look nationwide, there's a lot of high schools um, that are making changes that are shifting. Um, so I absolutely don't feel that this is just in the K-8 space. I think this is in any educational space. And when you said, I was interested then also, you were talking about the collection of evidence of you know, what does this mean for kids who have been with you? Now, obviously, I think your longest kids would have been with you for four years. Is that right? Or five we're, years? We're in, our, 14. 
you're staying We're in our fifth year currently right now. So yeah, Right, okay. So, uh, and I was interested, and I understand why you said rightly, you know, uh, obviously a number of people are looking how they're tracking in grades in traditional areas, and let's accept all that. We know we that's part of what people uh, still hold on to. I guess I'm just looking for the balance of that. To what, in your own mind, to what extent do you think parents, whilst they might be aware of that that performance, to what extent are they taking greater uh, interest in the broader areas that you talked about, where the, you you can see there's evidence that the kids uh, do have a different perspective about their learning? Um, well, I mean, our parent community is. Um, really, you know, especially being in our fifth year currently right now, they're understanding a lot more about what we're doing and why we're doing it and they're seeing it being successful. So, you know, kids are doing fine in high school and that just eases parents' minds. So then they could really, truly appreciate the skills and what students are working on down here in the K-8. You know, it was like that one little worry that parents had and now that they see that they're successful. Um, but our, our parents love that our students love learning. Like they go home and they talk about their learning and not just talk about their learning, they continue their learning. They go home and they build other things or, you know, students, I had a student that wanted to learn a first grader that wanted to learn how to play happy birthday on the piano. So what did he do? He went onto YouTube, he figured out how to play on the piano, he played on piano, he recorded himself and he brought it in. And nobody told him how to do that and nobody told him to go do that. So just the fact that our students are excited about their learning, they can't wait to go to school. And that's what's common. You hear parents talking about it, you know, at the ball fields, um, parents of our students saying, yeah, when it's a day off, my kid's mad. (laughs) You want to go to school, you know? when parents see that and then couple that with all of the um, parent ed that we've done and um, really trying to help our parent community see the learning because that was one thing in the beginning especially was because we didn't have packets coming home or report cards coming home. They weren't sure, is my child learning? Because they keep coming home telling me they're having fun and playing. So that was something that we um, have learned that we need to help our parents to have a window into what's happening and to really help them to see, you know, how what the students are doing is learning. So we do that through exhibitions. We have um, actually uh, second and third graders have an exhibition tomorrow showcasing some of their learning. So bringing parents in for um, learning exhibitions and then the teachers being able to explain and share Um, you know, to kind of fill in those pieces for the parents to understand how what they're seeing is learning and understand that process. Um, Also through a lot of digital portfolios with students, um, a lot of social media and bringing parents in to, you know, talk about what they're seeing and what, what, um, like how students are being successful. So it's been a lot of parent education that we've had to do to help our parents to have the language to describe what our students are doing. Yeah, and just a quick follow-up, because I think that that's an area I think most schools completely miss. I think that both schools that are changing, that are, that are moving, and new schools often take just take for granted that parents are going to be on board. And I think the investment you've obviously made both before, during, and now uh, you know, is obviously paying off. Um, my quick question was, and when you have those exhibition uh, evenings and the learning exhibitions, do prospective parents and the wider community get invited as well? 
Um, so they will, depending on, you know, if it's an after-school one, because they happen throughout the day. Um, but yeah, we will invite, especially coming up in January, February is when our whole enrollment and lottery starts to happen. So we have prospective um, parent tours. They come through our school, um, inviting them to yeah, different events and just to really um, find out more about the school because it's not about is my child going to be successful here or not? Because every child will be successful here, whether you're shy, whether you're outgoing, um, whether you speak a word of English or, you know, doesn't matter. Any child can be successful. Successful. What we found is it's really the family needs to sit down and think about what do they truly believe? What do they want? Um, so giving opportunities for them to come in and prospective parents to tour through, to talk to parents, to talk to students, just to help them to see and kind of decide what it is they want um, for their children. So it's interesting that you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you have to reframe learning for parents. You have to redefine it almost for them. I'm assuming you have to redefine success as well. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, because, you know, it's, it, their parents a lot of times are used to 100% on the test or, you right. know, all the papers coming home. So really teaching our parents and, and it's not even necessarily teaching them because a lot of them see this in work. They just need help shifting it into the education, you know, perspective of, you know, um, projects and you learn so much when it doesn't work or when you get a complication and how do you work past that? And it really helps once we point that out to parents and help them see the process of learning the child went through um, and then connect it to the real world. Um, we try and go out and visit businesses every year, our staff members, so that way we can see what is it like to work in the real world outside of education. Um, and then we can bring those experiences in as we're talking with our parents as well and help connect with, um, you know, what's happening in their world. So would, would you agree that the, the shift that we're talking about here, that even for parents, intellectually, it's not really that big of a shift, but emotionally, that's where the really the hard work is? Because I mean, we talk about this all the time, that what you're doing is common sense when it comes to the ways that we create conditions for learners to learn really powerfully. And I think that that's shared, that common sense is shared even by parents and people who are, you know, not in education or not in school right now, but they're emotionally so tied to the, experience of the experiences that they had or to the fears that they have for their kids, that that's really where the work is. I mean, would you agree that most parents kind of look at this and go, most parents go, yeah, that just makes common, this, that makes sense. This is the way it should be. But, oh my goodness, you know, is this going to be, right? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And, you know, even parents, they'll go through different phases, right, where they're like, yes, I get it. And then all of a sudden that worry kind of seeps in or <laughs> – Maybe they hear another school and, you know, something that was happening there or something they were learning or a way they were doing it. And then it just, you know, worries them because parents think about it. Parents all over, no matter what, you know, ethnicity or anything, parents want what's best for their kids, right? Sure. And they don't want to mess their kid up. And they right. don't want their decision <laughs> to lead their child to not be successful in life. So it's hard. It's a lot of pressure being a parent. I'm a parent myself. I have two children at the school. Um, so really, you know, there's times where parents all of a sudden will, you know, panic for a moment. And 
we always have an open door policy come in let's walk you through and once they you know understand or hear why or you can kind of calm down their fears and their worries and okay yes my child is learning to read then they're okay so it's most definitely that emotional and it's that tradition so it's it's trying to break tradition you know why why do we do things the way we do it right so how do you what have you given much thought now to what what comes next in terms of um, you know post the startup the startup phase is exciting you're going through some incredible growth and um, and obviously a lot of attention um, the next phase is that one of you know how does how do we continue this beyond the people who were there yourself and others who were part of the startup team what does sustaining design 39 look like and what are you investing in doing that yeah, um, actually, um, we just started having, because we're in our fifth year, we just had a meeting last week and our, uh, brought a group together, different community members, staff members, to think about, you know, here's where we are right now, where are we wanting to go, what are some changes and shifts and areas we want to continue to work on um, to continue to expand, you know, um, the opportunity and experience for our students. So, um you know, some of the areas that we're continuing to work on is um, working with our teachers, right, our learning experience designers, and helping to give them to um, support and other ways to take these learning experiences even further with students um, and help support with some of those connections. Um, communication still internally and externally is always an area that we're continuing to work on. Um, one thing that I know our school really does have to work a little bit better on is things are moving so fast and there's so much great things happening on campus. Um, but having some type of a place where we can um, hold on to some of those great learning experiences or those essential questions. I was touring someone around today and she said, do you have a bank of all your essential questions? And I said, no, we started one, but it's one of those things that, you know, the upkeep or that diary mapping of, hey, there's this great project. Like for example, some second and third graders um, were just kind of exploring money. The kids were interested in money and, you know, they were learning. They need to learn about money also. And the kids got excited and they collected um, money from all over the world, all different types of currency, uh, researched what money was, the history of money, um, did this massive project with money. They were doing the exchange rates. They were, I mean, you name it. And it looks so cool walking in that room and seeing these different currencies all over. Um, and being able to share that with other teachers, um, even inside of our school, and hold on to that learning experience as something that, you know, maybe next year or two years from now, if students are into that, we can pull that up and be able to build on that. So that's, those are some things that um, we need to kind of pause a little bit and kind of grab together. Um, we are getting our teachers to walk around our school even more that's one thing educators don't tend to get um, to walk around uh, their own schools, right. let alone other schools. Uh, this year, every one of our teachers went off and visited different schools in the area um, outside of our district, um, took days and um, went to visit and just have some of those conversations and also walk around our own school to see some of the learning experiences happening that they can build on. So so there's a quick question follow up to that and there's a, just one other one if I can. Um, <laughs> quick question is how do you find the time and money to allow that to happen? 
because that's people come back to us. The, the T question is always the biggest four-letter word everyone comes in schools. Oh, we don't have the time to do this. How do you do that? So everybody has 24 hours in a day, right? Yep. Well, I do. In Australia, funnily enough, we do too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, it's how we use our time. So that's something that we were, um, you know, using design thinking. And how are you? How are we using our time? Because there's time. You could always find time in the day. It's just looking to see what are you valuing and how do you rearrange some of that time to be able to make that happen. Um, and then funding as well. So being able to think creatively about funding. So here is the amount of money that we have. Now, what is it that we value and how are we going to shift things around to be able to use that money for what we value versus just what typically it's being used for? So um, really involving teachers and parents in those conversations is helpful. Um, for one example, at, um, in our district, uh, like a, typically a grade level leader or like a leadership team type of person would get a stipend. So that might happen at lots of different schools. Well, instead of doing the stipend, we wound up using the money and shifting it in a, in a different way so that way we can use that money to pay for substitutes to have time to be able to do some of the other work. So it's really about um, knowing what resources you have and thinking about different ways to use the resources. Cool. And so then my other question was a follow-up, and I appreciate because you, you, you really gave some detail on that answer. I know a lot of people have that question. In regard to sustaining or the longevity of what you're doing, two, two things I've seen happen in, you know, in, when initiatives such as yours have been so successful. The first is how are you developing leaders? You know, to what extent are you investing in that? And I know obviously some of what you just said is, is a response to that. And the second is there'll be an inevitable um, recruitment of your good faculty uh, by other districts or schools, which is a positive and a negative. It's a, it's a huge positive that they think so highly of what you're doing, but it will start to do two things. It'll give you an opportunity to spread the Design 39 word, word if it's done in a way that there are takeaways that can be, can be, I don't like replicated, but you know what I mean. Yeah. But it also does mean that you have to be continually investing in new faculty, probably at a rate beyond what many other schools don't, because in many schools, there's, there's a lot more permanence about it. So there are two questions there. One was your investment in leadership and the other was how do you respond to that? Yeah, and um, our school, we really believe in shared leadership. Um, it's changed names. We used to call it flat leadership and we realized leadership's never flat. <laughs> um, <laughs> But really having this shared leadership, and, and I like to say leadership is like a heartbeat at our school. That's the image that comes to mind. So there are times where, you know, I'm not taking a leadership role. There are other times where I've bumped up and I'm working with somebody, I have a leadership role, and there's other times where I'm a full one in charge taking that kind of leadership role, whatever it is that's happening. Um, and being able to build the capacity of all of our staff members to be, and not even just staff members, our students and our parents to be able to take um, leadership roles at our school. Um, so it, it takes a lot. We do have a principal and two assistant principals at our school and their roles are slightly different than what you would typically see. We call them design facilitators, right? There's a lot that they step back where other people step forward. Um, so uh, really building that into the culture so that way um, anybody can step up, like somebody that is a literacy expert 
well, they should be taking more of a leadership role to support making sure that literacy is happening. And, you know, um, instead of just the person that's in charge or that has the, you know, the principal title. Um, so, so really having a lot of different opportunities to have people step up into different roles. We actually are also, we just started it. Um, we have a facilitation team currently right now and they are getting trained in um, some facilitation strategies and some leadership strategy strategies. This is going to help us with some of our decision making because sometimes with shared leadership, decision making becomes a little bit tricky. So having all the different voices in and um, sometimes you can spin and not make a decision. So we've been really working on that. Um, but really uh, currently right now with some of those like more school wide um, decisions, having this facilitation team that doesn't make the decision, but they help to facilitate teams having discussions to make decisions. Um, and it helps to give these uh, staff members um, some leadership skills and, um, you know, opportunities to be able to lead different groups. Um, so really putting a lot of our, um, you know, attention into building the leadership in um, everybody on campus, including students and parents as well. And the recruitment of staff, that question, sorry, I put two together in it. Oh, that's good. And um, we actually, we've already found that we have a lot of movement um, in our staff. And I think we just generally always will uh, for a few reasons, right? One, like you said, there's, you know, people that um, move on to district level or working with other schools. Um, some, some others, it's a lot of work and they might not have really wanted to work that hard. <laughs> we've, we've had some, you know, some different turnovers for some different reasons. And I think just by nature, the people that come to work here currently right now um, are go-getters and they're wanting to make changes and shifts and they're not going to be the ones that necessarily retire in the same building. Um, that they started just because the nature. Um, but we really take time to um, help our new staff members to um, understand how we're doing things at Design 39 Campus. So about a week before school starts, we have them come in and we take them through a whole um, design camp. And it's a lot with uh, building culture and a lot with um, like learning um, about each other. I mean, we played Hungry Hungry Hippos with our last group. <laughs> um, but, but really just kind of taking them through, here's our guiding principles, here's what we believe. Um, and then also because it's not about um, each teacher in their own rooms like you would typically see, uh, we work in different groups and we really collaborate and really work together. Uh, new teachers and new staff members are working with colleagues to um, design learning experiences. They're sharing students. So there's really that like on the job training. So I know when I first started teaching, I was given a key and some books and here you go. <laughs> Figure it out. Um, here we have one hour of collaboration time built into every morning. So sitting down together and working together, having conversations, designing lessons, looking at student learning. Um, it really helps, especially our new staff members, to um, really feel more successful here at our school. 
So I think uh, one of my favorite words from 2018 is coherence. I keep using that word a lot, right? And just listening to you talk, I get the sense that there's a lot of coherence in what you're doing, even though it may be kind of crazed and chaotic at times, there seems to be, you know, just a real sense of who you are and who you are as a school, what you believe in, um, the, your values. I love, you know, when you were, you were talking about um, time, for instance, right? That you, you can use time on what you really care about, what you really value, and just chopping that up in different ways instead of just being a slave, you know, to the schedule and, and to the way things have always been. And I just get the sense that you have such an interesting learning culture, right? Because you've, you've talked so much already about yourselves as learners. One of the things I really love about your school and your website is you're the only school I know that has developed its own glossary. <laughs> so when, when, when you want to know what you mean by blended learning, you can go on the website and you can look up blended learning and there's a definition of what we mean when we say that. And that's, I think, really powerful, that, that shared language idea, even with parents and teachers and whatever else. So I just, I, I mean, I want to give you just so many props for, for doing that, that, that foundational work on, on which most everything else stands and is built, right? So I, I think as we kind of close out this interview, which I've really enjoyed, I, I, wonder, um, I wonder two things. I wonder, is there a tension from the other schools and the other teachers and other experiences that kids that you know teachers are having or kids are having in your within your district when they look at the stories that you're telling and and the stories that kids are telling i mean is there a larger maybe impetus to begin to think differently in those schools as well yeah so you know especially when we first opened and we were you know, just talking about our school, there was a lot of tension, especially in the area where we were pulling students from. Um, you know, there was worry that we were, you know, taking their students. And, yeah. um, right. and it's hard anytime you have change. And, and that's why we were very purposeful with our words. It's not about better, it's about different. Um, but yeah, there, there definitely was a lot of tension. It's eased up a lot over the years. Um, as we've really understood and been able to show what we believe and, um, you know, our, and our parent community really felt that tension, I'll have to say, um, from the community that that's where a lot of the worry was, is, did I make the right decision? And there were families that started here and then because of, you know, the, the community then shifted because they were worried about their decision. Um, but over the years, it's definitely um, become a lot better. Our um, administration at our district is really um, trying to be very innovative and trying to really um, help all of our schools to make changes. They've come up with some new programs to help support making changes. And you see a lot of changes starting to happen, you know, all over our district. So uh, that is very exciting um, for us to be able to see some of our work spreading. I'd love for it to, you know, spread more and to have, you know, more of our um, PUSD uh, educators come in, see our school and be able to kind of um, not be afraid to use some of this in their schools and their classes. And, and I see it happening and I'm just looking forward to seeing it happening even more. <laughs> and I guess my last question would be, you know, we've seen so many iterations of change that have been provocative and interesting and inspiring and then you come back five seven ten years later and they're just you know they're kind of gone um and I, it kind of goes back to bruce's question about 
how do you plan for the future? How do you how do you really make sure that the work that you're doing now is sustained? So my sense of it is you're not really that concerned with this not sustaining. And um, I wonder uh, if you had advice to other folks who are are just whether it's starting a new school or starting a new initiative, doing really interesting things in terms of that sustainability piece of it, what would be the one thing that you would say is the most important thing to make sure that you do in order for change to take root and then keep going forward with it? Yeah, and, and I, the nice part is I've had experience opening another school before and so yeah. did a few of my colleagues. So. Um, you know, my last school that I opened, it's a great school. Um, they're doing well, they're making some changes, but it was not the school that we envisioned it to be. And we wrote in our mission statement, um, you know, they're working towards that. Um, and as I reflect back is, you know, we didn't do all the groundwork. Um, as, as I was talking about just the different process and just the different thinking about who we are and what we want and we didn't really put deep roots down. You know, we wrote our mission and we wrote our vision and we got new technology tools and new staff members. And, and then we just kept moving forward there. And for us, like, we really took the time to think through all the different pieces and understand our brand and who we are and then kind of break it down piece by piece so that way we continue to move forward. And we are constantly stopping and lifting ourselves up to the 39,000 foot level is what we call it. Um, and looking at it from that perspective of, you know, what are, what are, what is it that we're doing? What is it that we believe? What do we value? So continuing to have those conversations, um, our staff development day in the beginning of the school this year was what is learning? And we spent all day talking about ourselves as learners, yeah. our experiences, what we've done with students. And, you know, and this is in year five, you would think like, no, you got to keep moving forward. Yeah. But all those times where you stop and you get people to talk about the values, um, it really helps to, you know, solidify um, those roots that you're making and it helps. I'm not worried about the school slipping back because of all the work that we've done prior to and the culture that we've created about asking those questions and about, you know, we ask our parents hard questions. Um, we, we get hard answers. Like, are you feeling like you understand where your child is and how they're being successful? And if they say no, then we sit back down at the drawing table together with them and we figure out the next best. And that's what we say. This is the best solution we have yet. And like, this is our, our best currently right now and keep moving forward. But I would say that was definitely one of the biggest uh, differences is, you know, making sure to really build who we are and continue to look back on that and not just make those small technical changes, but really make those systematic changes um, help to continue to grow. Well, it's an inspiring school, an inspiring conversation, Megan. I want to thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Um, and uh, at some point, I would love to come and make a visit. I know Bruce would, too. Maybe next time we do our labs, we can schedule one out your way, and, and we, can, we can come and see what Design 39 is all about. But uh, sincere best wishes, happy holidays, and uh, thanks so much for taking the time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Megan. And, and a quick comment. Your ability to articulate your work and your beliefs and what you stand for is exceptional, and we've really appreciated it. So thanks again. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. It's, it's a pleasure. And
it's, it's just, you know, we have to all work together as we're making changes. And it's about nobody has all the answers. We most definitely don't. But it's about sharing the journey and it's about sharing the thought process with each other so that way we can really help all of our students around the world be successful. Thanks very much, Mike.